McShane Bible Study, days 269 and 270. And we're coming to the end of David's life in, in 2 Samuel 22, where we begin. Uh, David sings a song of deliverance. And I, it, it's really cool. I'm sure a lot of kings throughout history put together um, things at the end of their life to talk about how great they are. We see it a little bit with Nebuchadnezzar when he starts talking about how amazing this this city is that he has built, or at least we'll see that soon. And, um, you know, I think that's probably the natural way a fallen man becomes king. It's, it's probably pretty natural to start thinking you're pretty swell. David's song is really cool and how much it praises God, how much it focuses on God. And then, you know, he does get into what God has done for him. Um, but it, we see the heart of David and the perspective of putting himself in the context of God and what he's doing rather than making it being about himself. Mm-hmm. And then, if you know, we have the Lord gives him some kind of last words, uh, or at least that's what my Bible calls them. Um, and then, and then, Second Samuel twenty three goes to uh, just describing his mighty men. He had thirty mighty men, although the last verse says it was thirty seven. I've never counted them, uh, but there were three that were um, that were above the the mighty men, and they were more famous. And it just kind of talks about what what each one did that made them the most famous of all their uh, exploits in battle. And so those are kind of cool stories. And, and uh, then tomorrow we will finish Second Samuel. Okay, and then we are in Galatians chapters 2 and 3, and the two chapters are pretty different, right? Um, in 2, Paul continues on kind of giving a history of his own life and ministry. And he talks about, you know, 14 years later, I, I went back to Jerusalem to talk to them. But they added nothing to my message, right? I wanted to make sure I wasn't going astray. So I submitted myself to them, but, but you know, we were good. And they realized God had sent me to do what I was doing. And God had Peter in charge of what was going on with the Jews. And it was all good. But then later, Peter showed up. And even though God had shown him a higher truth, that all who are in Christ are one, he slipped into his old ways when certain religious people came around, right? And he said, even Barnabas, who's always with me, slipped into these ways too. So he had all these Jewish people who wouldn't normally be like this, but because some other Jews came and were, you know, thought, oh, I'm not going to sit with Gentiles. And they all of a sudden started saying, oh, we're not going to sit with Gentiles either. And Paul had to reprimand them all. Right? What are you people doing? Right? You see that? These are, these are, you know, <laughs> I don't know how to use the word mature, supposedly mature men. Peter had been established to lead the the people, uh, the the gospel in the Jewish world, right? And yet they were sleep slipping into carnal ways, old ways, right? The old life. The religious life. And so 
you know, Paul reprimands them all. And then he goes on the end of two and into three and starts talking about this life that we are called into. Uh, verse 18 says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So he's saying, we had the law of Moses before. Christ has given us a new life. But if you rebuild a new law based on the name of Christ, you're still mm-hmm. trapped under the same thing that Moses had us trapped in. Mm-hmm. Right? Think about it. We know that the that uh, Jews made it to eternity through the law of Moses. Because when Jesus went up on the mountain, the Mount of Transfigur- Transfiguration, um, we saw Moses and Elijah there, right? Mm-hmm. So if it was all just about an afterlife, that that law of Moses worked. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's got to be about something more than that. Christ came for something more, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Paul's saying, look, if you just make another law out of this life of Christ, then you're still trapped in this law, right? 19 says, for though the law, or sorry, mm-hmm. for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, my old life is dead. And I'm living a new life, right? Mm-hmm. So he goes on, <clears throat> uh, Galatians 3.3. 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? See, it's man's natural tendency of the fallen way to create a religion mm-hmm. and then to look to the religion to make us righteous. And Paul says, this is so foolish. But what do we have around us today? Everyone's falls into this trap, right? Mm-hmm. People say, oh yeah, I've got a religion. I'm a Christian. Boom. I just leave it at that, and I go on living a worldly life. No matter how many times a week I go to church or church groups or whatever. And, but he says, no, you have to actually die to your old life and enter this new life. Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. He says we have to enter into this life through faith. We're continually walking down this narrow path through faith. Mm-hmm. Verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So remember, God set before all the patriarchs. But we see it clearly in the law of Moses again and again and again. But, you know, it was true before him and Abraham. It was true after him, David, Solomon, many, many times. Mm-hmm. I set before you blessing or curse. Mm-hmm. Right? The way of this world is under a curse. If you create a religion out of life with me, you're still under the curse. 
if you end, if you die to that life and enter into this life with me, you walk in blessing. Right? 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by, by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Let's see, 18. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. <clears throat> he, and, you know, he goes on to say, the law is not contrary to God. Mm-hmm. It's just pointing towards a reality that is above any religion. 23, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. We're supposed to be freed from all laws because we have died to the old world and are made alive in this new life, right? Okay. And we're reading Ezekiel 29 and 30, and it starts out as a prophecy against Egypt. This part stood out to me. Um, The Lord says, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the the great dragon that lies in the midst of his streams, that says, My Nile is my own. I made it for myself. Stood out to me because that was what we just talked about, how most kings of the world would would act and think, right? Mm-hmm. And we talked about how different David was from that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but And so we know from Jeremiah that we just finished, that oh. the people, the remnant that was left in, I shouldn't, maybe shouldn't use the word remnant, because they could have been the remnant for people. Jeremiah encouraged them to, God encouraged them just to stay there, build and plant, but they didn't trust God. They said, we're going to go to Egypt, to be protected, right? Mm-hmm. And now we see here, God says, no, I'm going to send uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon in to destroy Egypt. And they, they didn't get enough money for doing my work against Tyre, and so I'm going to send them to Egypt, and they're going to destroy, they're going to break down Pharaoh and destroy Egypt and destroy all the, all the idols. And... Um, then the people will know that I am the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. And we're wrapping up in the Psalms, and we have three really powerful Psalms. Uh, 15 is really short, but it starts out, O oh Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? It's mm-hmm. a pretty important question, right? David's crying out, who, who gets to enter your kingdom? Who gets to be in your presence? Two, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. It's basically he who walks in the way of the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. All right, 16 is, is one of the best psalms. Um, starts out, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So he says, you are my whole life. I, I, I seek you for safety from everything against me. Realizing everything in this world, even those things I think are good in me, are against me. You are my only good, right? 
3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. My delight is in those who are also seeking the Lord. Mm -hmm. Right? The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. So again, the blessing or curse that we set. Mm -hmm. Those who seek any other God, any other way. Um, sorrows multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out to t or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. I've chosen you. I've not, mm -hmm. I've not gone the ways of the world mm -hmm. to make an idol out of the things that interest me. I've chosen you, Lord. Six, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. So whatever the lot in life that God has given me, I find them pleasant. Mm -hmm. I find that he is good. He has blessed me. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Mm -hmm. Right? That's, that's the kingdom life. That's our inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. So the Lord is continually counseling him and teaching him and leading him, right? Mm -hmm. as, as he should be for us. As we grow in him, we should continually have his counsel leading and guiding us. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So no matter what shaking happens in this world around us, we will not be shaken because we are the Lord's. Right? Mm -hmm. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. So he says, look, I'm glad. I'm blessed. I'm, in, I'm joyfully living. And even he takes care of my flesh, this body. Right? Mm -hmm. Because I am God's and he is good. For you will not abandon my joy to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. We know that's uh, quoted. Who quotes that, Peter or Paul? Anyways, it's quoted in the New Testament saying, This is not about David, this is about Jesus. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So he actually takes us into this life that is above the life around us, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> the fullness of joy. And then verse, I mean, sorry, uh, Psalm 17, I just like the, the last verse. He's juxtaposing it against men whose portion is this life in the previous verse. And then in 15, it says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Mm -hmm. I want you, Lord. That's, that's what satisfies me. That's all I want is you, Lord. All right. Well, that's all I have. Do you have anything else? No. God bless you. All right. God bless you.